Um, so I, I know since last week, um, you all have been wondering how my eye doctor visit went, and, and it went well. Um, it, nobody asked me to do anything I was not qualified to do, <laughs> except maybe tell them when I, when I saw the squiggles on the, on the screen. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm seriously unqualified for that. So if you all would just stare at the dot in the middle of the, anybody's blood pressure going up right about now? That's the most anxious point of my life every time that, it's not, nothing's happening. Don't, don't, I, this is a picture. <laughs> there will be no squiggles. <laughs> but I also went to my uh, physician's office this week for my yearly exam, right? It's like the New Year's health resolution time of the year. And so I really like my doctor, and I've been seeing him for 15 years. I've lived in three different cities, but I still go back to my doctor because I like him that much. And yet there are still surprises when I visit him. Something happened this week when I visited my doctor that has never happened before in 15 years. And no, it didn't happen when I got on the scale. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) He was asking me um, some routine questions, making notes on his laptop and doing the thing. And suddenly his phone went off. And it, I was thinking, like, this, I've never heard this before. I was like, oh, he must have some ringtone. He's from India, so I thought, oh, it must just be a song from India. I don't know the words or anything. But he didn't move to turn the ringer off on his phone. Actually, he just stopped. Stopped typing, stopped talking. And this stopped anything for about 20 or 30 seconds. And then the music stopped on his phone, and it's like he came back to life started typing, started asking me questions again. This has never happened in 15 years. And so it took me a moment to realize, oh, this wasn't a ringtone. It was the Muslim call to prayer. And at first I was like, oh man, I never knew this. Like we have something in common. We're, we're both men of deep faith and we've never had that conversation before. I mean, he knew I was a pastor, but we never really talked religion. Until this week, because I asked him, I said, was that the call to prayer? And he says, yes, I have it on my phone, so I won't forget who I am. It was at that point I realized we are not both men of deep faith. His faith is deeper than mine. Because at different points in my life, I get all excited about fixed prayer, and I try to fix myself to do it, and I will put the rings on my phone but invariably I turn them off and I abandon the practice. I do it because I'm afraid that my phone will go off at an inopportune time. Like I might interrupt somebody else or God forbid, interrupt my own day, right? (laughs) And it got me wondering, when I'm turning off my prayer reminders, like am I also turning off my identity as a follower of Jesus Christ, something my doctor wasn't willing to, to do, to turn off his identity? Am I turning off or am I silencing my identity as a child of God? Or at the least, am I quieting this powerful reminder that I am a child of God? And and I need that reminder because I'm really good at succumbing to society's temptations. It's so easy to give in and give up who I am. It's as easy as just hitting silence on your phone when your faith makes itself known in mixed company and you want to make it go away. Thankfully, though, we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who gave us an example 
of what it means to hold strong to your identity, to overcome even the most seductive of temptations to silence that identity. And that's our story for today. It's from Matthew chapter 4. We're in Matthew all year, except when we aren't. And today we're in Matthew chapter 4. This is verses 1, these are verses 1 through 11. And we read, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. And so the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Did you... The devil just quoted scripture. (laughs) Did y'all hear that? So be careful sometimes it can come in in disguises. And so Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him, and suddenly an angel, angels came and waited upon him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, so often temptations do come in our lives temptations to silence you and in so doing silence our true selves may we not be met with silence today but may we hear your voice speaking to us urging us on encouraging us offering us life and hope so it's in your name we pray amen so how many of you remember that story from scripture, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. It's a familiar story, right? Like Jesus is led, is led out into the wilderness to be tempted. The Greek, by the way, it can also mean tested, but either way, Jesus passes the test. Not a single squiggle gets past him. He knows what's happening. It's a story of testing and temptation, but it's also a story of identity. Another in a series of stories in Matthew's gospel that Matthew includes to tell us just who Jesus is. Matthew wants us to to make sure that we know the depth of Christ's identity and all that who he is means for us. Remember, Matthew started his gospel with a question of identity, right? He started the gospel with Jesus' genealogy. Anyone remember who whose ancestors Matthew shared? Mary's ancestors or 
Joseph's. He shared the names of all those famous Israelites back to David, on to Abraham, establishing Jesus in his adoptive father's household. And then we learn that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but had to flee to Egypt as an infant to escape death. Matthew includes this story because he wants to make sure that we recognize that Jesus' identity is also wrapped up in Israel's identity. What other Israelite had a story involving Egypt when he was almost killed as an infant? Moses. Which brings us to the River Jordan, which Moses was forbidden from crossing, but which Jesus entered at his baptism. And it was at this baptism that we learned in no uncertain terms just who Jesus' father is. The same spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness is there and is a voice from heaven, and a voice from heaven tells the world what? This is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is whose son? God's son. God's son. And immediately after that voice, this is my son, says God. The spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil, Diabolos in Greek. And the devil begins his first temptation with these words. If you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. He takes us right back to Jesus's very identity. If you really are a child of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And in case you think this is an easy temptation, an easy test, how long was Jesus fasting in the wilderness? And 40 nights, right. That was the same amount of time, by the way, 40 days and 40 nights, the same phrase that Moses was fasting on Mount Sinai when he received the Ten Commandments. And I'm not sure, by the way, I could have passed that test after four hours of not eating much less 40 days and 40 nights. How long would y'all last? Like, especially if you had the power to turn a rock into bread and you're surrounded by rocks, how long would you last? Anybody make it 40 hours? Four days? Anyone up for the 40-day, 40-night challenge? Famished would be an understatement. Back when I was a youth director in Warrensburg, we used to team up. It was like, man, it was a fun time. We had like five or six different churches in town, Southern Baptists, Catholics, Presbyterians, Disciples of Christ, Community of Christ, and us. And we'd have at like a hundred and some kids fasting for 30 hours together, walking the streets, a handful of adults. And we'd do Bible study. We'd worship together. We'd have a bonfire. We'd learn scripture, and we would collect food. For the, it was always the meanest part of the day because the last part of the day when you're coming on 40, 30 hours, you're going house to house collecting food for the food pantry. And I still remember the year, and I know exactly who it was. I don't think he's watching, but if you are, Keon, I remember. But we, had, we found three cans of Campbell's soup opened and emptied behind the bushes in front of the church. The temptation was too great after 30 hours to have food literally at your fingertips and not eat, even when you made a covenant not to eat. They failed the test. And they also ended up with a cold soup stomachache, by the way. Cold Campbell's soup on a hot day is not always the best. And it's not just food that gets us. I mean, we're tempted by so much. There is so much coming at us in terms of satisfying our material needs and our material wants. 
Like how much of what we own would we actually consider a need? We're obsessed with, with, with satisfying our wants. Even as we're following a Savior who called us to give it all away, to give, if we got two coats, how many should you give away? One, that was actually John the Baptist, but he was doing it to get us ready for the one who then would say, no, just give it all away. Give it all away. Take nothing with you as you share the gospel. But human beings have spent centuries, millennia, since Jesus walked this earth, engineering more and more ways to to turn the things that God created us to steward, the rocks, the trees, the water, the oil, the animals, not just into bread, but all manner of things that we don't need, but certainly want. God has given us all we need, but we're obsessed with turning what God gave us into something and things that we want. The temptation is too great but not for Jesus. Even after 40 days and 40 nights, when he's famished and could certainly use just a slice of bread right about now, Jesus would not use his privilege, his position, or his power as the Son of God to turn God's stone into his bread. Jesus would not be tempted. And what did he use to push back against that temptation? What did he use to push back against the devil? Scripture right? Scripture, the Word of God. Jesus would not deny his identity as a son of God, as a child of God, and he leaned on the Word of God to defeat the temptation. He answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Those are Moses's words, by the way from the book of Deuteronomy, reminding the Israelites that God fed them manna during their own 40 years in the wilderness. He even gave them more than they needed, and he told the Israelites, don't don't hoard it up. Don't hold on to extra. I'm always going to give you what you need. You don't need to worry or doubt. But the Israelites, did they resist the temptation to hoard it all? Did they pass the test in the wilderness? No, but Jesus did. And so the devil, is like, this is like a showdown, right? He tries a counterpunch, and he comes back at Jesus' identity again, and this time it's the devil who quotes Scripture. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. That's Psalm 91. Throw yourself off the top of the temple. Because if you truly are God's child, he will save you. He won't let you die. If you truly are God's child, prove it. Here's a quick public service announcement. Don't try the test at home. (laughs) But we do test God sometimes, don't we? Like We put parameters on God's love for us. If God really loved me, God would dot, dot, dot. God would heal me. If God really loved me, he wouldn't let this happen. If God really exists, we are innocent children. Why are innocent children dying of hunger? Anyone ever ask those words? If there really is a God, why won't he answer my prayers? Or me on last Tuesday after sitting in the waiting room for like 45 minutes past my appointment. God, if you really love me, if I really am your child, please make them call my name next. 
Margaret Jones. Oh, <laughs> right? God did not love me on Tuesday, <laughs> at least not for another 30 minutes. But don't we test God in little ways all the time? If you love me, God, if you really are a God, or God must not exist because this didn't happen. We succumb to the temptation to put ourselves above the one who put us on earth. But Jesus, did Jesus fail this test? Did he throw himself off the temple? No. And how did he overcome this temptation? What did he turn to? Scripture, right. And again, it's from Deuteronomy. It's from Moses' farewell speech to the Israelites. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, Jesus doesn't need to test God to know that he is God's child. Jesus' identity as a child of God is not dependent upon anything on this earth, upon anything that may or may not happen to him, any experience. It's not dependent on worldly wealth or physical health, success, or even certain spiritual gifts. God's words are enough when God tells Jesus, you are my child. And finally, the devil takes Jesus up on a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the earth, everything, all the power he could ever want. Well, all the earthly power. And Satan says to him, worship me and all this right in front of you, the things you can touch and feel and see, the things that other people have can be yours. All this could be yours, power prestige, position, trade the kingdom of heaven later for the kingdom of earth now. <laughs> kind of seems like a ludicrous, ludicrous trade, actually. Like, if I ask you guys, hey, how many of you would like the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of earth right now, but you just have to give me your place in the kingdom of heaven later? Would anyone make that trade? No, it's silly because we know that the kingdom of heaven is for always eternity, and the kingdom of man is but a breath, a fleeting shadow. And yet, we climb over each other daily, pushing others down so that we might rise up in the eyes of the world. We compromise our morals, our ethics, our faith in order to be more and more accomplished and be more and more established now, exchanging now for the kingdom of heaven later. Even now, it's probably one of the greatest failures of churches these days, confusing the kingdom of heaven for the kingdom of man, as our churches and our congregations seek earthly influence, political prestige, more and more seek money and power and popularity. <laughs> and we begin to lose our focus on God's kingdom and the much more humble work we're called to do quietly every day. We begin to lose our identity of children of God as we want to be children of this world. But does Jesus forget his identity? Does he come succumb to temptation? No. And why? Let me, let me put it this way. When the devil tempted Jesus, what did Jesus do? He leaned on Scripture, on the Word of God. He leaned, again, in this case, on Moses' words. There's a, there's a pattern here. 
Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him. Serve only him. And the devil left him and ride, bad you, devil. <laughs> Go away. And angels came and, wait, and waited on him. No one is exempt from temptation. Noah's, no one is exempt from Satan's desire to corrupt us, to twist us, to turn us from the giver of life. Jesus wasn't. Adam and Eve weren't. Moses wasn't. David wasn't. Peter wasn't. Away with you, Satan, he'll say again. And neither are we. The only difference between Jesus and all those other people and us is that Jesus didn't give in. Jesus passed the test. The rest of us, Eve and Moses and the rest of us, so often we give in. I mean, we're not Jesus. We're not the Son of God. But we are children of God. And we do have the Word of God. And so when temptation comes our way, and it will, and we're tempted to forget who we are, we're tempted to silence the reminders of who we are in polite company, <laughs> that we are God's children whom he loves and who make him happy with our very being. When those times come, Jesus shows us what we can do. Because when temptation came, what did Jesus do? He turned to Scripture, the Word of God. And he also held firm, without having to test this, he held firm to the truth that he was a child of God. And so for us, as we face temptations in this life, and we face them every day of our life, and it's hard and we will fail, we will. But now that we know what Jesus did when he faced temptation, what will you do? In those moments, will you pause in whatever you're doing, whoever you're with, and will you turn to him? Will you hold fast to the truth that you are a child of God? And will you use the word of God to push back against the temptations of the world. Amen? Amen. Amen.